my things were cut. Today is September the 3rd. A couple of things about September to get us uh, ready for the Sunday School lesson. You know that the Romans associated different months of the year uh, for different gods. September is associated with guess who? Which god in their in their mythology? September is associated with the uh, god Vulcan. Vulcan, the Roman god of fire. Doesn't matter if you didn't know that or not. Uh, September the first, of course, was the dark day. This is the day that Hitler invaded Poland, 1939. And then 9-11 took place in September when four hijacked airplanes crashed into the Twin Towers, one at the Pentagon and another at, uh, in the field of Pennsylvania. The 17th of September, kind of interesting, is the day in which the U.S. Constitution was adopted in 17th of September. And also, did you know that there was interesting holidays for September? Can you guess what interesting holidays are in September? National Happy Cat Month. <laughs> National Happy Cat Month. Uh, also, kids take over the kitchen day on the 13th. That should not happen. <laughs> International Talk Like a Pirate Day on the 19th. And on the, looks like the second, National Punctuation Day. Did you know that? National Punctuation Day. Hello, JR. National Punctuation Day. Oh, boy. Now, um, in 1734, this is kind of interesting. A man named John Craig sailed from Ireland to the U.S. to the Shenandoah Valley. He's been 34 years there as a church planning missionary, and he was going through a lot of hardship, and he uh, established churches in an area of 600 square miles. And on September the 3rd, 1740, he was a Presbyterian Scots-Irish pastor in the Shenandoah Valley, and his responsibility his territory was 600 square miles. Now, he would preach to different preaching stations, and uh, let's see here. He died in 1774, and he established those churches, and someone asked him, well, what did you do? How did you endure all the hardships in this ministry? He said this, I can't pronounce the word that he used because it's so, where I could not get hewn stains, I took doornacks, quote, unquote. Where I could not get hewn stains, I took doornacks. Translation, where I could not get hewn stones, I took pebbles. That was in regards to the people that he was able to train. And so the question was about, well, how did you get this work established? He says, where I, where I couldn't get uh, hewn stones, I took pebbles. In other words, he, he, he took what he could. He used what he could. He couldn't get hewn stones, but he could get pebbles. Those who are willing to be saved, first of all, those willing to be taught and trained, they are the ones that he is referring to, the, the pebbles. Kind of interesting, isn't it? He traveled uh, with a musket and a powder horn over his shoulder. He preached sermons on self-conceit, pride, vanity, hypocrisy, wickedness, and folly. 
And he says this, listen to my advice as a sincere friend and pastor. Well, interesting, isn't it? That's all in September. All right, let's go to today, September 3rd. Mispah has gone to the Philippines for a little while. Uh, I wrote down she'll be back in the 14th, I think, or 17th. And uh, taking care of some business with her husband there. And so do pray for them as they try to work that out. It's um, concerning, but um, she is confident God's going to help them with uh, an issue there. And then they'll be coming back. And then Carmen is leaving Wednesday. Carmen Jim leaving Wednesday for a few days, coming back in November. And so by the time she comes back, we will be... We will be craving her coffee and her goodies that she cooked. We don't care for you. We just care for that. And then Francis will join up with her in October and coming back the same day. All right. Uh, in the Bolton, you have some birthdays. Uh, Sam's birthday is this month. And uh, there's something else going on, Kristen's too. Kristen's birthday. Kristen's birthday, yes. Right. The boys back there are pointing to her. Good boys, good boys, good boys. All right. Let's take our Bible to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. Good to see JR back from his cruise around the islands. Sort of. He's working. Exodus. I am going to try to cover chapters 5 through 10 today. Like real. <laughs> chapters 5 through 10. At least give you a survey about it. And then come back again next Sunday. Talk about the plagues specifically. In chapter 3 of Exodus, we found God confronting Moses through that burning bush and in chapters 5 through 10 we find Moses confronting the Pharaoh confrontation all the time is taking place the words that Moses would speak to the Pharaoh with Aaron would show the power of God in the plague that would be coming Moses to Pharaoh it was God speaking through Moses and Aaron to the king and the message the message that he had given to Pharaoh uh, it was just a matter of repeating what God said. Now come to chapter 5 and verse number 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 5, verse 1, 2, and 3. We will come down through the ten, uh, chapter 10. I just want to highlight uh, the words that are given about what Moses was to say to the Pharaoh. And the point being that God used Moses and Aaron just to repeat what he said to tell the Pharaoh. Chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Now come to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 29. I want to show you that there is... Arb, you ready to go? No? Yeah. Okay. I was waiting for you. I thought maybe um, a sinkhole took place on the way to church. Chapter 6, verse 29. Then the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. So you have this repetitive statement. Yes. Is Mispa's class going to go to Arb's class today? Uh, who is Mispa's class? That'd be who? Uh, Cynthia and Matthew. Yes, you may go. Kayla. Kayla? Yeah. 
So in verse 29, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. So you see the, the, the truth here is, just tell Pharaoh what I said for you to tell him. And then chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be uh, thy prophet. Verse 2. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his hand. Repeating the message is all you need to do, Moses, in Aaron, chapter 8, verse number 1. I'll stop on this one, because chapter 9 and chapter 10 say the same thing. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, so, throughout these first 10 chapters, from chapter 5 through uh, chapter 10, uh, God's plan was to simply, Moses go, and Aaron go, to tell Pharaoh what I said uh, to you, to tell him, that's all you need to do. Tell Pharaoh what I said. So I see a pattern here. I see a pattern. And maybe you see a pattern too. Go back to chapter 5. Verses 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 5, verse 1, 2, and 3, we see a pattern established in this confrontation with Pharaoh. Go and tell him what I told you to tell him. Say to him what I tell you to say to him. Just give him the message that I told you to give to him. Pretty simple instructions, pretty basic things to say. What am I going to tell him? What am I going to say to him? Moses, just tell him what I tell you to tell him. That is your message. And so if you were to say that he was preaching to Pharaoh, that might be okay. If you were to say he was declaring a truth, then that would be true. So just preach to him what I say to preach to him. Now here is the lesson or the PA, the personal application, which I hope you can see. The pattern is, tell Pharaoh what I said for you to tell him. What is the lesson for the New Testament Christian? What is the message that we're supposed to give? Well, whatever God said for us to give, that's the message we give to people. If you've been witnessing, just give them the message I told you to tell the people. So what do we tell people? What is the church to tell people? What is the missionary to tell people? What is a Christian to tell other people? So we have to know what God said to us and that's what we say to people. That's the pattern. What God said to us to tell others, we then tell others what God said for us to tell. We don't need to make up a message. We don't need to fabricate something, embellish the message. We're supposed to give people the gospel. And so the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. So that is the stated message to give. And we're to tell people, Romans 10, 13, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, now shall be saved. I think it's Acts chapter 16, verse number 30, 31, around there. But Romans 10, 13 says, call upon the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. So the message that we are to give is simply the message that God told us to tell people. We don't need to make it, we'd have to dress it up or dress it down. We wouldn't have to make it something that it is not. We just tell people simply in a kind way what God says to tell people. Right. So just like Moses was told, tell him this. We are to take that and say, there's a pattern there. There's a pattern for us. Just tell people what God said to tell them. And so it doesn't have to be uh, likable. It doesn't have to be acceptable. It doesn't have to be what people want to hear. 
It just has to be what God said to tell them. And along that line, along that line, um, the messenger, Pharaoh, heard from Moses and from Aaron. The messengers were to just tell the message. Now, I, I just want to say this about that part, is the messenger can be unacceptable because of their attitude or because of their demeanor or because of the way that they're talking, the way that they're speaking, giving that message. So the, the person that are listening to the message could be distracted by the messenger because the messenger is distracting. I hope that makes some sense to you. In, in other words, you can be having, you, you could have the exact message God wants to give, but you could be so such a turn off or such a put off or such a distraction to the message that people won't hear the message. Uh, you, you might seem a little bit confused, but let me explain. If I have an earring here and a nose plug here, and okay, or something that seems to be unusual, would would what I say be acceptable or be distracted because of the way I look? They could be distracted because of the way I look. Or if I am inconsistent in my Christian living, and let's say I steal from my employer or I uh, use words I shouldn't use, yet I'm telling people about how to be saved, would that be incompatible? So the messenger could be a turn off. The message itself is not a turn off. This is what people need. But the messenger could be turning off people because of their bad behavior. I hope that is somewhat clarifying. But we are to just tell people what God said to tell. Okay, so there's a pattern there. Okay? Yes. All right, number two. Let's see another pattern. Chapter 5, verse number 20. 520. Another pattern I see. And they met Moses. These have been the elders. They met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge because ye have made our savor to be a cord in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Now, the people, the elders, here's a pattern. Because things didn't work out so quickly as they had hoped, the people, the elders, got really put out with Moses and, and Aaron. The results were not there so quickly. They thought, okay, we're going to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And it didn't happen. Instead, you know, Pharaoh did in this chapter, chapter 5, he made life horrible for them. No straw for the bricks, harder to uh, put things together and keep it all together. And yet the, the same quotas were demanded. And he made them work harder. And uh, less breaks, less, less time out. Uh, just work until you're exhausted, things like that. And then uh, cruel, cruel treatment of these uh, people, the Hebrews. And so the results was not what they wanted. It's just simply back to work. Back to work. Chapter 5, verse number 4. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you into their burdens? What are you after? I know what you're after. You're after you. Look at verse 13. 513. And the taskmasters hastened them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks. And when... There was uh, straw, and verse 17 tells us, Ye are idle, ye are idle. 
Therefore, you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. So they're accused of just trying to get out of work. And so the Egyptians said, you know what? We ain't going to fall for this. We're going to make it harder for you. And they did. And so they moan their groan and they're feeling the pain. They're feeling the burn. And they go to complain to who? To Moses. Moses, I thought you said would be free. Isn't that what you told us? That's what he told them. Didn't you say God's going to deliver us? That's what he told them. Did it happen? No. So they're upset because the results are not what they expected. So I see a pattern here. People who are weak in faith always affect other people. People who are weak in faith affect other people. And so we find from this chapter 5 that they were to preach a message, but then there are people who are weak in faith, and because of that, they affect other people. Who did they affect? Well, they no doubt affected the other Hebrews, but they also were affecting someone else. The one that God called to deliver them, they affected Moses. Moses was affected by their response. Look at chapter 5, verse number 20. They met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh, and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand. It's because of you they have gotten more aggressive and more harmful and more, more harsh with us. It's because you, Moses, you, you're the one at fault here. It's because of you. It's you. You're the cause. You're the cause of all this suffering we're going through now. It was bad before, but now it's even worse. Thank you, Moses. Thank you so much, Moses. And so the Hebrews' response to all of this is that they blame Moses. They resent Moses, and they blame him for their hardship that was piled onto them. People weak in faith, they do affect others, and they blame others. They blame others. Look at chapter 5. Verse 22. Here's where Moses is affected. You see it here in these two verses, 22 and 23. Moses to turn unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hath thou delivered thy people at all. Can you see Moses is upset as well? He has been affected by the murmuring of the elders. And so they're upset, he's upset. They fuss, he's fussing. They complain, he's complaining. He's fussing at God for sending him. <laughs> for sending him. He's upset with God. And so there's a pattern here. People who are weak in faith always affect other people. And uh, the elders blame Moses. Moses blames God for the failure. It's not true. But this is the feeling, this emotion, this is what's going on. Uh, how do you spell Genesis chapter 3? When you read this passage, how do you spell Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 through 13? How do you spell it? Do you remember that passage in Genesis chapter 3, what happened there? Let's take a look. It's not very far from Exodus, but... Uh, the Bible's got a lot of truth, and sometimes we, it's easy to forget uh, the things that we read. Genesis chapter 3. I see a pattern. The pattern goes back to Genesis chapter 3. If you come down to verse number 11, Adam and Eve had already sinned, and now they have covered their nakedness with fig leaves. And in verse number 11, 
the Lord has confronted them. Look at verse 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And by the way, naked people should hide themselves. They should hide themselves. Nowadays, you have people who are celebrities, and all across the spectrum of what is a celebrity, and they have taken themselves to the place of uh, more degeneration. And the more you see these people at the Super Bowl halftime shows or any kind of red carpet event, whatever it is, you find people undressing more and more as if this is something of honor. It is incredibly shameful, but they have no shame. They've lost their blush a long time ago, and the more provocative they are, the more attention they get and the more they are glorified. People should hide themselves if they're naked. Verse number 10. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat. Verse 12. And the man said, The woman, <laughs> the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree of the tree and I did eat. He blamed his wife. Look at verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, Is that so? And what is this that thou hast done? In other words, is that so? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So, Adam blames his wife. His wife blames the serpent. This is the first testimony of the scripture of people blaming somebody else for their own, their own uh, doing. Now come back to Exodus chapter 5. The Hebrew people blamed Moses because they weren't delivered instantly. God is upset, uh, excuse me, Moses is upset because the people upset at him and he finds fault with God for calling him to do the, the delivery ministry. <laughs> and so there's blaming all around. The pattern is blame shifting. People blame all the time. It's in the Bible. The very first parents we, we have had, they blame uh, other people for their own their own failure, their own uh, sin. Well, I'm, I'm seeing another, another application here, another PA. In this world, you have people blaming people all the time for their own faults. For example, uh, humans blame natural disasters because of the climate change. That is the most unbelievable statement a man can make. We blame a natural disaster because of our human involvement with this nature, this world, this earth. We have offended it. We have used too many cans of uh, CF, carbon, whatever, and we've polluted all this kind. We're blaming somebody else for our own. No, 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 no. Uh, white people blame, uh, white people are blamed for minorities not passing college entrance exam tests because it's a biased thing. It's, you, you, see, blaming somebody else for your own lack. The police are blamed for arresting me because I broke the law. Duh. I broke the law and I blame the police for arresting me. The police are getting rough with me because I resisted arrest. Well, if you don't resist arrest, you won't get thrown down and get your arm bent out of shape and all that. I got fired on my job because I wasn't fulfilling my job description. That's unfair. We blame everybody else, don't we? We blame, blame, blame. When a team fails a game, we blame, blame, blame. Uh, blame the manager, blame the coach. We blame everybody, but we don't take responsibility. Uh, and so back to the elders, their attitude was one of lack of faith, uh, murmuring spirit, blaming other people, blaming their leader Moses. 
And uh, I want you to notice too, in this blaming situation, there is the powerful influence of words in all of this. The words that they said to Moses upset him, discouraged him, got him to doubt like they doubted, caused him, caused his faith to, to be lessened, to be weakened because their faith was weak and their confidence in God was weak. And Moses then picked up on that and he also began to complain to God. You see a pattern here? Bad attitudes affect other people with the bad attitude. Lack of faith affects other people to have lack of faith too. These things just spread. It's like rust. Rust spreads everywhere. It's like termites. Rust and termites. They spread all everywhere. There's only one place rust uh, termites will not eat. It's when water, uh, salt water soaks wood. Is that right, Francis? When you soak lum lumber or timber in salt water for a period of time, termites will never get into that wood. That's what I've been told. I believe that's true. Houses have stood for how long because the wood has been soaked and prepared and treated with salt water. And termites just don't, quote, dig it. That's hippie talk in the 60s. They just don't dig it. Well, uh, we blame everybody else except ourselves for our own failures. And sometimes it is our fault because of failure. Or sometimes failure is our fault. Sometimes people don't like you because you're not really nice. Not you, but people in general. <laughs> Sometimes people can't trust you because you're not trustworthy. It's not because of your skin color. It's not because of, you know, no. It's just because you have proven by your testimony you're not trustworthy. So they don't trust you. You can't blame them. Why don't you begin to be trustworthy and then they trust you? Things like that. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. Sometimes people are lonely because you're not friendly. <laughs> that could be just a simple solution to that. All right? So, back to the elders. They have a bad attitude. Their words are influential. And uh, online, you have people who are called influencers. Influence. Have you heard of this term, influencers? They're influencers in all aspects of society and in culture. Influencers. People who have a say-so because of their tweets. And they influence people who read these tweets. And they are thinking like the one who made these statements, they are influenced by these influencers in all aspects of society. And so they pass on their opinions, their opinions have weight, and people begin to think like what the influencer said. Well, in the case of these elders, they had influence on each other and on Moses. Did you think Moses was beyond feeling? Did you think Moses didn't have any uh, emotion? Moses is quite the human and uh, a man of like passions as we are, as was Elijah. And he was influenced by their words. Remember this, uh, the Hebrews, the Hebrews were faithless, they were negative, the attitude was bad, murmurers, and it affected Moses, the very one who's gonna try to help them. It affected the leader. In chapter one of Deuteronomy, I read the verse to you. I think you know this one. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Now, of course, the report of the ten spies, very well known to all of us, and how it discouraged all the people. 
The people assembled after their 40 years of investigating the land. They come back with the grapes of Eshkel. Remember that? It's huge. It's the size of softballs, these grapes. And they were firm and they were seedless. <laughs> and it was so juicy and so good to eat. They could slice with the knife and they could eat like on a sandwich. It was so good. But the 10 spies said, ah, look, look, look here, look here. The spies says, look at this. Take your eyes off them grapes of Eshkel. Forget what we said. Forget what Caleb and Joshua said about the fertile land of milk and honey. Just think about what we're saying to you. There's walled cities. There's giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. They're so horrible looking. They had, they, oh, they were so awful. And we cannot conquer the land. The people were terrified by their report. So their lack of faith in God, it transferred to the people to then their excitement, their anticipation was so put down because of what they said. Make no mistake, words are influential. Words are powerful. Words have an effect on other people. So they discourage them. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about boxing, but in a boxing match, you have a boxing ring. It's called the squirt circle. If you've been in the boxing ring, it bounces. It wears you out. It fatigues your body. It fatigues your legs. And when your legs get fatigued, your arms drop. And when your arms drop because you can't help because you're fatigued, that's when you get knocked out. So both boxers have a ring, have a corner in the ring. This guy's on this corner, the other guy's this corner. When the bell rings, they go back to their corners, both boxers. They sit, is it two minutes? One minute, three minutes, whatever. They go back to their corners, they sit in a little wooden stool, and uh, they get something to drink, or they patch up their cuts and whatever, and then um, put on their mascara or lipstick and put it back, because it's all messed up. And they give them, uh, Manu says, Come on, you're doing your good. You're good. Now, don't forget, keep your left up. Don't let him get around. When he does that, don't forget these things now. And they go, oh, okay, okay. The, the bell rings again. They come back again to fight round two, round three, round four. If it's a 12 round, it's a long match. In the seventh round, this guy here is, is getting beat up. His face is swollen. His legs are wobbly. His arms are dropping. He's getting punched out. Saved by the bell. The bell rings. He, he crawls back to his corner. And the, the guy looks at his trainer, uh, his, his boxer, he, he dabs his face through the cool rag. This guy, is, he's out of it, takes off his, his mouthpiece. This guy's exhausted. And you know what the manager does? He looks at him, he says, how many fingers do I have? He says, what fingers? <laughs> the guy is so beat up, he can't even see straight. How many fingers do I have here? Follow my, follow my finger. The guy's like this. <laughs> he's staring at his face. This guy's out of it mentally, emotionally, and physically. He's wiped out. You know what this guy does here? He's, he's in, in the corner. Before the bell rings, this guy gets his towel and he throws it into the ring. He throws in the towel, which is saying to the referee, we quit. We can't go anymore. We give up. And so the referee sees that, picks up, he says, okay. Bing, 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 bing. The match is over. He goes to this guy. Goes to this guy. Raises up his hand. He won because they give up in the seventh round. Now that is to say that his corner threw in the towel. You know what the elders did? They threw in the towel. They got Moses to almost throw in the towel to give up, to quit. That's how discouraging words are. That's how powerful words are. So if there's a lesson to learn, learn that lesson. What you say in public or in private has such an impact on someone who hears you. And if you want to discourage anybody, 
Just say things to them to hurt them deliberately, and you will get them discouraged. Moses got down. Moses got down because of the people's words. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Now, that doesn't mean you can create reality, but it does mean that it's influential. Oh, man, you look so good today, talking to a three-year-old who tried to dress himself. He got his shoes on backwards, left foot on the right foot, and he's got his shirt all crooked. And, uh, you know, he, he looks, he did the best that he could. And if you said to him, really, good job, good job. You look so handsome today. How does that make the boy feel? Now, if you tell a 13-year-old kid, what in the world did you do to your face? What do you mean? Now, 13, 14, 15, a lot of acne shows up, doesn't it, in some kids? It's kind of a natural. I think when I was about that age, a lot of, a lot of they call them pimples. But uh, we had to use a lot of Clearasil. Anybody remember Clearasil, the Clearasil days? <laughs> now, you put that stuff on, it turns kind of grayish, white like that, and it's going to drop the pimples, you can pop it. And you remember popping pimples was like a, a, a fun thing to do? You mm -hmm. squirt it on the mirror. <laughs> Give me goosebumps. Think about that. But every, every teenager at uh, Castle High School, it seemed like they had something covering your face. And then, what did you, what, what did you do to your face? Oh, I was squeezing on the pimples this morning before I came to school. Oh man, you look so ugly. You should have stayed home from school. Well, that's really nice to say. It could be true, but it's not a good thing to say. You just shot down this person's, oh, made an effort to come to school. Now he's going to want to go back home. Now, the rest of the school day, a bag over his head. <laughs> Who's that? That's John. John, what you got a bag over your head for? None of your business. He can't wait for the school bill to end the day. He feels so bad because of what you told him. You told him the truth. But we were smart to tell him like that. So, words have a lot of influence. And so, what does God do? What does God do to get Moses, who is down, to come up? That is a good question to ask. What does God do? What does God do to get him up? He's really feeling bad, like the Hebrew elders feel bad. Oh, I need to tell you this. Uh, this forgetful people. Look at the chapter 3, verse number 8. i got to get this part in. Chapter 3, verse number 8. The Lord says to Moses, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land, and so on. I'll stop there, but verses 8 and verse 10 tells you what God said to Moses. God told Moses what he would do. But now Moses even himself feels like, oh man, this is a, a wasted, hopeless cause. And so Moses tells the people what God said he would do in chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Turn over there. Chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. Okay. The people. This is a really fantastic scripture. Fantastic in, in, in the sense that, wow, I didn't see that. You remember when God confronted Moses and said, I'm going to be with you? Well, what proof do you have? What does he have? What do you have in your hand? A, a rod. Throw it down. Turn it into a snake. Pick it up. Turn it back into a rod. Put your hand in your, in your shirt. Brings out leprous. Put it back in. Comes back out whole. Those are signs to him. Now, the other thing he said is water going to turn to blood. All this was to prove to Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm the 
all powerful eternal God, I can do these things. Here's proof, one, two, and three. Now watch in verse number 30, Moses and Aaron do the very same things before the elders. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So they duplicated what God did. What God did for Moses, they did for the elders. Rod turned to serpent, leprous hand, whole hand, water turned to blood. That shook them to their core. And this said, verse number 31, the people believed. The people believed. When the, they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, that they bowed their heads and worshiped God. They humbled themselves. Their unbelief was knocked down and then faith in God was strengthened and they worshiped God. Now that happened there in chapter 4, but in chapter 5, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, they have quickly forgot all of that. You have forgetful people. People that are forgetful. People that are forgetful what God showed them not long ago, they quickly forget what God said and what God did. So you find the next thing in chapter 6, Here's what God did to get Moses up. He was down. Here's how God brought him back up. Chapter 6, verse number 1. After Moses has complained to God, why would you even bring me out here? Verse 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his uh, of his land and so God tells him God tells him again what he already had told him God repeats what he said to him chapter 3 verse 7 8 and 10 he repeats what he said he would do under the emotional distress under the bad reaction by the people and the negative response of Pharaoh Moses is told by God once again what he already told him Here's what I'm going to do. He just repeats to Moses what he had already said. Chapter 3, verse 7, 8, and 10. And look at chapter uh, 3, verse 19 and 20. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by mighty hand. Verse 20. And I will stretch up my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, uh, he will let you go. And so he reminds Moses what will take place in chapter 3. And in chapter 5, when he confronted the Pharaoh, none of those things were done yet. So he reminded him, okay, we're not done. This is just the first inning of this nine-inning game, so-called. He also reminded him of what he would do. He also reminded Moses of who he is. Verse number 6. Chapter 3, verse number 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, etc. In chapter 6, chapter 6, verse number 2. This is what God did to encourage Moses. Chapter 6, verse number 2. God spake unto Moses and said unto him this. What did he say to him? I am the Lord. And he goes on to say, I appear unto Abraham. Uh, look at verse number six. 
Wherefore, uh, said to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will rid you out of your, their bondage. I will redeem you. Look at verse 7. I will take you to me for a people. Verse 8. I will bring you into the land. We're continuing verse number 8. I will give it you for inheritance. Then he says again, verse number 8. I am the Lord. So the Lord did something to encourage Moses. And this is the very same thing that takes place when Christians feel a little bit down. They have to remember who God is. They have to remember what he said and even what he promised. That's how Moses got lifted up out of this feeling down. His feeling down was very legitimate. <laughs> it's very, very legitimate. Um, the old saying is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true. That is not true. Well, he repeats what he said that he would do. He repeats who he is to him. And that is the method God used to encourage his servant Moses. Repetition. I will deliver. I am the God of Abraham. I, he's repeating himself from chapter 3, chapter 5. Chapter, he repeats himself over and again. Why? Because Moses needed to have the repetition of the truth given to him again. He didn't. He heard it once at the burning bush. He had to hear it again and again because he got kind of feeling bad because the people's influential words got him to feel bad too. Now, this is the course of life in which people very naturally can get very negative. And, uh, I'm not a Joel Osteen fan by any means because in the sense of Joel Osteen, he is a dodger of reality. A dodger of reality. Does not face reality, does not deal with the sins of man and the remedy for salvation. It's not, it's not like the Bible. And so I'm not a fan of his and I'm not even a fan of him having a plastic smile. What I am a fan of is remembering that words are influential. What I say, what is said to me, what God says to me is how we go back to a spiritual place which you should be. But remembering what he said, remembering who he is. Repetition, repetition, rereading his words, rereading his words, reminding yourself of his person, reminding yourself of his promises. And so the people, though, are perpetually negative. They are perpetually negative. Chapter 6, verse 9. They are perpetually negative. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses. After God told him, look, here's what's going to happen. Here's why I remember this, Moses. Okay, I understand. Tell the people this. And he does, verse 9. And they hearkened not unto Moses for anger of spirit and for crude bondage. And so the people are perpetually negative. Their situation is so empowering to them, they see no way out. Not even if God said that he's going to bring them out. You could say they're impatient. You can say they are, they have no optimism about them. You say that uh, they're just, they're downers, and they really were. And it's kind of like that. So you have to fight that. They had to fight that. And, and the people, the case of the Hebrews, they had to see miraculous signs to overcome their fears and their lack of faith. For us, we don't have to have miraculous signs. We sometimes need an indication that God is going to help us. That's what we need. Sometimes it's more indication that God's going to help us or God's going to answer our prayer. We need small indications. 
For example, when you look for a parking stall at some place, you say, oh man, and there's, there's a car pulling just in front of you, and you pull right, and you say, oh, this is a sign to spend money. <laughs> we need a little indication like that, or little things to say to us along the way of life that it's going to be okay. Those things are very helpful. They really are. Um, but other than that, the bigger, the more concrete foundation you stand on is what the Bible says, what God says, who he is, what he probably doing, and so on. That's a good point. Otherwise, you'll be like a Hebrew and uh, find fault. You'll find fault. And so I want to cover the plagues because in chapter 6, uh, we cover the plagues. Beginning in chapter 7, we have uh, those infamous plagues that was so destructive. And uh, there's a response by Pharaoh. I'd like to cover that, take time to cover those plagues and the meaning of them. And also the big overarching theme of those plagues and why, get, why God did them. And... Uh, in the end, you know the story, how God will come out the champion, and the referee holds up his hand. The winner is God. <laughs> the loser is the magicians and the pagan gods of Egypt. And there is, in that corner, the Egyptian gods all beat up. And the devil throws in the towel. And the heavenly referee says, the winner and champion again, of course, was, you know, so on and so forth. And that's how that's going to turn out. So uh, we'll cover that chapters about the plagues. Okay, so those are the patterns you see in these chapters. Okay, any questions? All right, we'll take a break. <laughs>